You don't even you don't even have to do anything to work on a relationship. You can just look at your mate and mirror each other. Just shut the fuck up, hold each other's hands, and just face each other and mirror each other. Probably powerful. I feel like I should have slicked my hair back for this. <laughs> you do not need to. <laughs> Only if you have manes like Marcus Philly and Sevon Matosian hey do you need to. You you have to you have to pull your hair back or people will say you look like you're homeless. I look like I'm homeless. Marcus looks like a Greek god with his hair down. It's not a, it's not a fair world. It's not a fair world. It's not the hair that's slicked back that makes you look homeless. I don't think. I think it's. Uh... Tell me what is it, Marcus? That uh, I was really hoping you were going to say it's not my hair slicked back that makes me look like a Greek god. God damn it! <laughs> Tell me what makes me look homeless, Marcus. I, I mean, I'm just, uh, I always feel a little insecure when I'm on a, a call with a couple of gentlemen that have the ability to grow great facial hair. I just can't do it. It doesn't work for me. It's such a what, weird What thing happens too. when you grow? F- My Go brother Sorry, can't Brian. grow a beard at all. You know, we're a few years apart, oh, same genes and no beard. Hmm. Yeah, I tried growing, I, I, try, I, I played around with it a little bit. And then I remember <laughs> in 2013, I like had some scruff going and I, did I did fairly well at the regional event in uh, NorCal, so I got some coverage. I came back to the gym on Monday to coach some of my personal clients, and I had this guy who just looked at me. He's like, hey, hey, uh, yeah, uh, I saw you did good this weekend. Um, you got to shave all that stuff off your face. You look terrible on camera. I was like, oh, thanks, man. So he told me uh, I didn't look good. And that Isn't was that. it amazing that – it's amazing the influence people have on us. Um, I have this other podcast and the two guys I was doing it with were saying to me, um, Hey, we liked you better with a beard. And so I haven't shaved in eight weeks. That was it. There you go. I was, com- yeah. I was completely clean shaven and I'm like, okay, I can appease these people. I want to apologize in advance. My drink, my, my hot water and cayenne and ginger root water is uh, very, very hot. So you guys are going to hear some slurping today. I know the listeners love that. Oh yeah, because when a drink's hot, you got to slurp it, right? There's some I like cooling so, yeah. down process as you kind of bubble it over your tongue. How do you like that cayenne ginger hot water replacement? I like for it. Your coffee, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not. Uh, it's for habit, not. There's no. There's no medicinal effect like caffeine used to have on me, mm-hmm. but but I'm giving caffeine up for a year. Yeah, I heard that. I'm, so, I'm, I'm very curious about that because it's something that um, I find it terrifies me to try and think about giving up caffeine for that long. And then at the same time, I'm like weaning off caffeine and just drinking decaf coffee. When I when I spoke to Dr. Nick, he said something, you know, like you're you're trying to get off of heroin and you're doing it five times a day. And then all of a sudden someone's like, no, it's really great to do if you just do it once in the morning. So he, I'm two weeks into quitting and Dr. Nick is like, no, I just take a shot of espresso before I work out. And all of a sudden that gets in my brain and I'm like, okay, that's what I'll yeah. do. I'll just take a shot of his. I'm looking for an excuse. Um, sure. I saw it yesterday in an Instagram post. Um, it was a picture of um, a young, a young, what looks like a young Siddhartha or a young Buddha. And um, the meme written over it or the writing over it was, um, discipline breeds success. And I've always, since I was in my late twenties or something, I realized that. And discipline usually for me, discipline means, um, consistency and, and giving things up that aren't necessary. And I just hate waking up in the morning, um, 
and being uh, attached to this thing that I need every single morning. I just hate that thing running my life. That means that I'm missing a, 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 some discipline and that I'm mm -hmm. not free. And the fact that there's a debate over whether coffee is good or bad for you means that it's bad for you. What do I mean by that? Like when you hear pregnant women say, oh, can I just have a little bit of coffee or can I just have one glass of wine? The second they say that, they know. I hear mm -hmm. a woman say that and I'm like, oh, she knows. I'll take that as the, and by bad, I mean it's relative, right? Sure. Your free Krispy Kreme donut is significantly worse than, I don't think caffeine's fucking with your immune system. Um, no, there's there's also plenty of good uh, studies done hey. on, <clears throat> on long-term benefits of, of caffeine, but then that's potentially correlated to just the type of people that are having caffeine. I don't know. It's not uh, super conclusive, but um, I'm not giving it up right now, at least. Um, and, and Dr. Nick, who we had on the podcast, was saying it's a performance-enhancing drug. He thinks it helps your performance, and he even, he even gave it a, a metric. He said about 1%. Co and, coffee or caffeine? Uh, he said coffee, but uh, but I would say he meant caffeine, and mm -hmm. I would say that's true. I see it right away. I see all my. Um, I spend a lot of time on the assault bike, yeah. and the assault bike is not nearly as fun if you're not hopped up on caffeine. I mean, right away, <laughs> I can I can get to the RPMs I want to get to in the first minute when I'm on caffeine, and when I'm not on caffeine, it takes like three to five minutes to get to that. Like, I, I remember uh, kind of looking into the, the banned substance list pretty closely when I was playing the sport, and caffeine's on there at certain quantities. And I was like, and I had like a tub of caffeine just, just to mix in with different pre-workouts and stuff like that, and I was like, oh, shoot, how much of this is going to be problematic, you know? Because it just clears so quickly. It's like, you can't, I imagine they're like looking for somebody who's like taking super, super high doses, like on day of competition or something like that. But it just, I mean, it's clearly a banned substance because it's effective. <laughs> yeah. Effective someone told me you better. Someone told me if you drank three Red Bulls in a row, you would pop for something. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. Put it to the he test. That's true. Marcus, do you know Brian? Uh, just from seeing you on the podcast here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we've ever met at, uh, at competitions or anything like that. Many, many years ago, Brian and I met on Instagram. Um, he came down to a regional. We did a, we started doing a podcast together at the regionals, at the CrossFit regionals. And, uh, we just hit it off. We thought, I, at least I thought, I've never heard him say it, but I thought we were a good, uh, <laughs> duo. And so when I fired up the Sevon podcast again, I reached out to Brian. He said, okay, I'll take a stab at it. Cool. Brian, where, where are you located? I'm in Chicago. Work at a CrossFit right. gym here. And, uh, cool. Yep. Are you still in Mill Valley? Um, just, I moved up to San Rafael. <clears throat> Mill Valley is, yeah, it's all the same county, about 15 minutes away. My folks still live in Mill Valley, and that's, uh, yeah, that's where I, I grew up. So pretty close by. I can't say this about Brian's neighborhood because I don't know a lot about it. But for people who are listening, um, Marcus lives about 100 miles north of me uh, on the west coast of the North American continent in the bizarre state of California. And, and, and we both um, live in probably two of the most beautiful places in the world um, in terms of their the weather's damn near perfect. 
and the um, we live in in small, relatively small enclaves away from the um, hustle and bustle and chaos of Silicon Valley and the San Francisco Bay Area. But he lives in an incredibly beautiful place. Um, I think actually Mill Valley might be home to the to one of the first, may, maybe the first marathon in the United States. The the Dipsy Trail is that true? Yeah, the Dipsy the Dipsy rate. Well, the Dipsy Trail is famous, and it's a it's a, one of the most famous foot races that we that we've got in North America, maybe the world. But um, it's a seven point one mile track from Mill Valley downtown. You go up and over Mount Tamalpais, and you end up at the Pacific Ocean at the Stinson Beach. Um, and yeah, it's it's like everybody in this area, you know, at some point. I haven't done it yet, but tries to register and sign up to race this race. And it's a, it's a really difficult, challenging run. I mean, seven miles. And like, I think the fastest times raw times are like around an hour. So it's, it's got a lot of elevation change, but I think they, you know, they run it a number of times a year. They run the Dipsy, they run the double Dipsy, which is like out and back. And then they run the quad Dipsy, which is more of a marathon distance. And, um, I recall, like, I think I remember back in the day, Kelly Starrett and like the the Mobility Wad team did the quad dipsy, and they they did a little showcase on it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a super tough track, but really famous, and it's like a you gotta you gotta get into a lottery to even get into the race. People come from all over the place, and and it's a unique race because they run it. Um, it's not like a you know they start by age. So the 70 plus year olds that are running, they get to go first. And then every minute on the minute for like an hour, they send out different ages. And so they go through all the ages of people that have been invited and you get an invite from placements in previous years. Then there's like people that just registered after, and then they go all the way back to those age groups. So if you're like my age, you're like in your mid thirties, and you just wanted to get into the race, you got into the lottery, like in order to qualify for next year, you have to pass like a thousand people on the trail and it's like single track. So it's crazy people running on this thing. Anyway, more than you probably wanted to hear about, but Dipsy race is super cool. Look it up for sure. I I parked in, um, I think it was Mill Valley once at the Pete's there in that little village. And oh, my yeah. mom and I, we got there really early the in the village. morning. That's I'm, our downtown. It looks like a little village, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it's so nice. It's, it's so, so nice. Cute. And uh, it has the tiny movie theater, a couple hamburger joints, a couple coffee joints. I parked down there, and then my mom and I walked to the Pacific Ocean, and we walked back. This is a handful that, of years ago. Then you walked the Dipsy Trail. That's it. Yeah. And it was amazing. You walk through yeah. neighborhoods and all the staircases and the forest. And it's crazy that you start there and end up at the Pacific Ocean. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, no, yeah. And the, and the, the race gets started um, going up a flight of a thousand stairs, basically. So <laughs> that's where people usually get get their first dose of lactic acid burning in their legs. And they're like, what did I sign up for? Yeah, that first staircase is insane. Yeah. Um. And it's and it's kind of where rich hippies go to die, right? Mill Valley. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I. I think of everything. All those cities north of San Francisco, sort of as that. I mean, as I've gotten older and I've like read more and more things outside of you know 
academics, <laughs> I start to hear about people like coming to Marin County and pretty much like a lot of like the meditation, spiritual movement has been, you know, centered in at Spirit Rock, which is like a, a retreat center out in West Marin where, I mean, a lot of big names in like the, you know, meditation world who teach like mainstream meditation, like they spend a lot of time there. So yeah, it is, it is a, a very unique place. And I, it's crazy because I'm, you know, like you said, a lot of people flock here at some point in their life. I was fortunate to, to be born and raised here. So like, I don't know much different. Um, it is a sought after place in the world to, to live and to come experience, you know, climate. And here I am just like, well, this is all I've known. Um, so definitely been privileged to have a chance to live here and, and <clears throat> this become my normal. And it's very expensive. It's extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinarily expensive. I mean, it's like living yeah. in downtown London. I mean, it is, it is, it is something else. Um, Marcus and I met, um, if I remember correctly, we met basically at a regionals on the floor, right? I mean, you were, you were yeah. probably, probably the first time we met, you just finished a grueling workout and I walked up to you and stuck a camera in your face. Yeah. I, I think it was probably 2014, I think was the first year because, uh, yeah, I remember that we were at the, um, San Jose, um, whatever San Jose state and playing in the, in the arena. And I knew, of, I knew of you. And so kind of felt like, you know, it felt pretty special that you were paying attention to me. Um, I think at the time, I mean, I was hanging I out. I probably there, just uh, liked your body. Don't get all excited. I probably just liked yeah, your body. Probably. Yeah. Although I was hanging out at the hotel. My wife was like my, was my coach, you know, so she was back backstage with me and um, we just kept bumping into you and your wife a bunch. And, I don't know. There seemed to be like a, a genuine, like, you know, d liking of one another. Like it was positive uh, outside of the competition floor. So that, that, that was, I think the beginning. Marcus, See, is it's it okay conscious? to, it's okay to start a relationship on a superficial, you can, you can like a man <laughs> for his body and then, and then it turned into something else. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Marcus, are you making a conscious choice to describe it as playing the sport of CrossFit? Cause I don't think I've ever heard an athlete talk about it that way before. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering where that language really started for me. I mean, I, I do, you know, I, I kind of, I like to think about it as two different things I, I did. I mean, I, I coached CrossFit and I was a big fitness, I mean, I'm still a fitness coach. So that was a big part. That's a big part of my life, but playing the sport, I mean, it was, a, it's a, it was a sport, you know, it was something I, I did that did not in the early years, I confused it too much with what I was doing as a coach. I thought I was one and the same. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm coaching CrossFit and I'm competing in CrossFit. It's like, well, you know, I, I had to really kind of un, un, unlearn that. It was incorrect. You know, playing, playing a sport, playing the sport of CrossFit, and then coaching fitness became very different. And I still look at them differently today, although there's lots of things I learned in both that carried over and supported the other, but um, it's just not the same. I think it's a good, it's a, it's a word playing that's catching me off as opposed to competing because that's the one that I don't hear the athletes use that often. So I didn't know if mm. that was a mindset that maybe you had adopted after the fact. Um, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I still, I talk about competing in the sport of CrossFit, um, but, 
you know, I also, uh, maybe I'm, maybe just cause I'm removed from the competitive side of it. Like I'm not like out there trying to win anymore. I'm like, I look back, I'm like, yeah, it was a game I played, you know, like when I was in it, it was everything. It was the whole world. It was, you know, what, what I built my life around. And now I see it as like, this is a game that you can go and get good at. And it requires a tremendous amount of fitness, but it's still a, it's still a game to play just like basketball and football. And these are, these are games and, and the people that really love it to a certain degree, like, I think they, you know, maybe have a, a chance at, at some more success, but you're seeing it now. Like there's people that are winning this thing that, that don't love it for the sport. Like they don't love, they're not passionate about it. They're like, it's a job. I'm just going to go and do it really well and beat people. Um, so it becoming more and more just like any other professional game that's out there that you play and, you know, you can be passionate about it or you can just be like, Hey, it's a, it's a way to get a paycheck. God, it's a hard way to get a paycheck. They're all hard. They're all hard. Especially <laughs> since the paychecks are not as big, you know, it's like <laughs> NFL is hard, you know, and some people get a lot of money for it. So maybe it seems like it's more, you know, doable, but for the vast majority of people that attempt it to try and get the big payday, it's brutal. You know, you look at people's stories who were in and out of the professional leagues for like a year and they were getting minimum wage and they were just getting, they're just getting handed terrible, you know, it's, it's a rough road, but you're right. CrossFit's painful, super painful. And, uh, but those people who are making it part of their life and they, they have this, you know, it's everything to them. It's their friends. It's their community. It's their work. It's their gym. It's and then also this thing that they compete in. They they're not just looking at it one dimensionally. Like man, this is hard to make fifty thousand dollars a year at. They're thinking like this is awesome. I get to do everything in my life around this one thing. And they're still not getting paid very well. Did you have a moment where you realized, like, as you were getting older, or as you were realizing where you were, how, where you fit in sort of the pantheon of, of CrossFit athletes, that you're like, oh shit, how am I going to make a living? Because here, here you are, you're about to get you. Because I remember, I think you you met your wife, or you or your relationship was really getting off the ground while you were steeped in CrossFit competition, and here you are, basically, in my words, not yours, this starving athlete, and <laughs> you're and you're. Um, similar to like a starving artist, here you are, and you're meeting this woman, and she wants to get married and start a life together. W were you ever like, oh shit, what am I going to do with my life? I can't do this much longer. Um, no, uh, not not exactly that that story. Um, I was pretty clear. Like, I started my coaching and business career at this around like just before around the same time I started my competitive CrossFit career. So I was coaching athletes, personal training, group CrossFit coach, then became a CrossFit gym owner and was having success in growing from a business standpoint. A lot of opportunities coming my way at the like simultaneous to my growth in CrossFit uh, sports success, um, gaining remote clients, uh, you know, having a, a CrossFit gym that I was, that was profitable and I was able to pay myself. Me and my partners were paying ourselves. I was doing personal training. So I was building some, you know, uh, financial success while I was doing CrossFit and the CrossFit to me, uh, the sport was 
it was fun and it was giving me opportunities and I was learning and I was still on this very, very deep quest of like personal growth. It was, it was more about like, what, what am I capable of doing, um, in a, in sport when I finally found something that my talents, my hard work, my thoughtfulness really gave me a chance to be successful. Cause I was a, I was a subpar collegiate athlete. I, I played soccer at UC Berkeley and I never saw <clears throat> a single minute of playing time. I always knew I was a good athlete growing up, but I just, it didn't express in the other sports that I was really, I played a lot when I was younger, soccer and golf. Like I never reached the, you know, a place where I was good enough to just, you know, feel like I was uh, expressing myself fully as an athlete. So then in CrossFit, I just was like, I need to ride this thing out as far as I can because I need to feel what it's like to take a physical sport and express myself fully and then climb as high as I possibly can because that's what I was what what were what was going to hold me back it was really this this like this journey of self-discovery um but back to what you were saying like I was I was earning money and I was doing well as a bit as a coach and as a business owner and it was when CrossFit and me climbing the ladder as a athlete started to, it became clear I was like yeah if I want to keep going up as an athlete it's going to start getting in the way of me being a good, like coach, business, like growing a career. I can't keep, they can't keep going up both together. Something's got to give. And I'm already 12th in the world. I'm 31 years old. I'm not, I don't think I'm going much higher. Like I might crack the top 10 maybe, but man, that's going to take a lot of work. And I think it's time for me to, and I, and I see this other part, my business and me being a coach, like, and yeah, with the family now kind of on the way, like now, now my wife, now she's my wife. Now she's pregnant. Okay. Wait a minute. Like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do this anymore. You know? I, and so I walked away at a time where I probably had, more, I, I definitely had more potential inside of me to go further in the sport. But it would have it would have meant not experiencing other the other part of my life that that was starting to become really important too fully. Uh, so I just couldn't I couldn't do both. I see it sort of the way you described it is is chapters in your life, and there's a there's ten pages where they overlap, and you were mm. smart enough to when you saw page one, you're like, okay, I can switch to the next chapter now. I don't have to ride this out till the very last page of chapter one before I jumped to chapter two and you, and yeah. you made the switch. That's how I sort of, sort yeah. of visualizing it. Brian got yeah. all excited because you said you played soccer. Look at him. He's, he, I bet you, I bet you his next question is a soccer, <laughs> soccer question. Let's do I it. I don't know, but I did, I did play in college as well. I, I played at a division three school, so I did get to see the field. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, it was hard. I mean, it was hard to be, you know, the star athlete in high school and then, then go to just be like a sort of a discarded, you know, piece of trash on the <laughs> on the college team. Like I was, I was that guy. I mean, I, I did not. Yeah, it was, it was not in hindsight. I, I really feel like that was a, a, a pretty damaging period of time in my life to my like self-confidence. It was just like, Whoa, I'm, I'm like, I thought I was great. I thought I was good. And now I feel like I, 
suck. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the difference between college and high uh, the highest level of high school soccer and um, I'm, I'm assuming UC Berkeley is a Division One soccer school. Yes, yes, they are. And what what was the difference? What 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 skills did you lack, or was it politics, or why why what's the difference there? What didn't you have that got you on the field? Um, I, I would say I would say there's a certain amount of politics involved. I mean, I I didn't go to college to play soccer. I went to college because I wanted to get into the best academic institution I could. My first choice was Stanford. I didn't get accepted to Stanford. My second choice was UCLA. I did not get accepted to UCLA. Um, Berkeley wasn't even a third choice. It was just the best school I got into as an academic, you know, uh, student. Um, and then the next step was, okay, who do I know? And can I contact the coaching, the coaches at the school? And, you know, I had some, some connections having, you know, been from Marin County close to Berkeley coaches that I had played under as, as a high school athlete that went to Berkeley were, you know, former all Americans that vouched for me. So I kind of got like a look at walking onto the team that most people didn't get, but I was not a recruited athlete out of high school. And this is where the politics question comes in because you can, um, I think that there is something to that where, you know, coaches who work, at a, uh, you know, division one program and are putting together their team, you know, they go out and they, they have a, they have a design to who they want to be in their starting lineup and they recruit these individuals. They might also specifically, my, my position was goalkeeper. So, um, there's a lot of philosophical stuff tied into how coaches, I think, look at what a goalkeeper's role should be. I mean, a goalkeeper could be, you know, a relatively short, very athletic uh, player who can has great foot skills and can sort of and maybe that's what the coach prioritizes or the coach is like, hey, I want a tall six foot three, you know, just monstrous uh, athlete who can stand in the goal and win every single ball in the air that comes through the, the penalty box. Um, it, it's it's different. And I don't, I didn't fit the mold of what I think my coach really wanted as like a physical specimen. <laughs> you know, he wanted, I mean, the guys that I played behind for three years were six foot, six foot two. Um, and, and they both went on to be all Americans and, and play in, in the MLS for, you know, with some decent careers. So I, I didn't play behind, you know, scrubs. Um, but I, just, but you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I was not recruited as like that guy. So I saw it as a great opportunity to get into, you know, I was in school already and here I was going to have to, I was going to get to have a student athlete experience, which was all I knew in high school. And I knew that playing sports and being disciplined and having practice times and, you know, doing the thing always supported me being a better student. And, and that was important to me. So I, I it was there were a lot of opportunities that came out of being a student athlete, getting priority registration, having access to certain, you know, student athlete services. Uh, you know, got to, I got to be plugged into some different social communities that I might otherwise not have. I got access. The, the greatest blessing of the whole thing was that I got access to collegiate strength conditioning, which if, if that, that, that had a huge impact on my future as a professional and as an athlete 
in CrossFit. So, I mean, we learned how to power snatch and power clean, squat, deadlift, front squat, overhead squat, you know, Nordic raise, bench press, the whole like plyometrics, jumping, all in college. And I was doing this. I got into it and I was doing it next to the, the football players and the rugby players who were serious about their strength conditioning. My teammates could care less. It was like they came in, check the box, get out. But I was like, I'm getting access to some really good coaching. And I left college being able to power snatch like, you know, close to uh, 80 kilos. Right. And that was like and I was 20 years old. So that was, and I didn't even know cross CrossFit wasn't around at that point. So I, I had developed a pretty good, uh, base of fitness and strength. And, you know, so yeah, I how think was there the was coaching, how was the coaching? How was the coaching in the strength, the, in the, the strength conditioning? Yeah, yeah. I look back and I was like, we had, you know, I think the, the problem was that the soccer team was sort of like lowest priority. So I feel like they kind of gave like whatever the newest strength conditioning coach who just like was new on staff and they were like, okay, this is your like hazing, like go and coach the soccer players. We just kind of got with the soccer players. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. It was like, they just, it was because like I said, 95% of my teammates could, did not care about getting stronger. They were like, why are we even here? And my coach was like, my coach would be, man, God bless him. He was, he tried, but he was like, Philly, don't, you're getting too huge. You're getting too big. And I was like, I was like, coach, like I, I'm, I'm 185 pounds. What do you mean? I'm getting too big. Like I, I need some muscle. Like I, I, you know, you're, uh, you're, I'm playing behind, you know, six foot two Josh Saunders over here. Who's a monster. Like, why, why would you tell me to not? He's like, you're going to get, he had this thing in his mind. He was like, you know, you're going to get too muscle bound and you're going to lose flex. He wanted us to do yoga and like, just, you know, I don't know. He was, he, he had a little bit backwards. He didn't quite understand the muscle physiology and, and, and physical fitness. I always, I always encourage you... people to do something in college because that discipline you talked about is so, so critical. I think that the team I played in was probably a, an extreme outlier in this case, but in the last two years I was that I was there, our average team GPA was a full grade point higher in season than out of season, just because that wow. discipline. Yeah, yeah. What did you study, Marcus? Um, the major uh, was molecular and cell biology, but it was pre pre med. I was pre med. Did you like that subject? Um, I. I really did. Yeah. I loved, I mean, you know, within, within the biology departments, there were two biology degrees there. There was molecular cell and then integrative biology. And I chose the one that was more prestigious and more challenging because I wanted to look good on, on medical school applications. Um, but within, once you're in the department, there's lots of different cool, cool courses. And I took a ton of physiology. I took a ton of nutrition courses. Um, and then, of course, the requisite cell biology courses, but, you know, chemistry, physics, uh, math, um, and then biology was all very interesting to me. What do your parents do? Uh, dad's a, dad was a physician and mom was a, uh, a technician in the department that my dad worked in. So radiology was their, you know, uh, my dad was a, a radiologist and my mom was an ultrasonographer. So she was... You know, you go get an ultrasound. She was the one that was uh, doing the technical ultrasound. Siblings? 
yeah, I have two two siblings. One that's um, a half brother who's uh, also a radiologist, and then a um, full blood brother who's a little bit closer in age, and he he works in like digital marketing. Does it trip your family out? Where that well, two 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 part question. Does it trip your family out? Did it trip them out when you started doing the CrossFit thing? Like, oh God, what's Marcus doing? He should be going to school and like getting a job with health insurance. And is it also a trip to them that you blazed your own path that you sort of, my words, not yours, followed your dream and just did mm-hmm. kind of the put your head down and worked and followed your dream and, and became su- so successful? Like, do you ever reflect yeah. on that with your mom? Because it's got to be scary stuff for a mom, you know, because they want to see their son. Your parents want to see you set up, right? They want to see you sure. before they die. They want to see your nest built with some chick- chicklets in it. And you were just like, you were playing professional athlete. Yeah. Well, the story goes that like, um, you know, I was, I was this pre-med student at Berkeley, graduated with really high honors, really good grades, went to medical school for a year and then dropped out. And, um, yeah, I mean, my, the, my dad was, they were both worried about me because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't one to just like quit stuff. You know, I mean, I was desperate. It was, it was a, dire situation where I was extremely depressed in medical school and that just stemmed from pursuing something that was not, not, uh, I was not truly passionate about. And I didn't, I didn't see was, uh, connected to like my purpose, you know, and I was, I felt lost. I went to, um, Ohio state university for medical school and, you know, to go from being a California kid growing up in Marin, being on the West coast to then, you know, dropping myself right in the middle of, uh, central Ohio. And this was, yeah, I mean, I was 23. This is almost 14 years ago. Um, CrossFit was, you know, Columbus was not the hub of, of health and fitness, (laughs) maybe like with rogue fitness being there. I mean, it was just different. And I just felt like I was so far from where I was supposed to be. There was nothing healthy. There was nothing, there's no good wholesome living going on. It was the Midwest. It was, uh, and medical school is hard, regardless of whether you're doing well or you get it or not. I mean, I was struggling. So I, I wanted to be in health and fitness. I wanted to be in it before I went to medical school, but there was no path that was had been carved out by anybody, really. I mean, it was you become a personal trainer or, you know, it's like that was it. That's all I knew. And so the, the micro gyms, you know, CrossFit, getting into the community, you know, whatever, whatever we do today, you know, like it, it just wasn't around. So I was like, OK, I got to stick to something I'm good at. And uh which is science and math. And I'm already on this long journey to becoming a doctor. I've invested all this time. I got parents, I got family in there. They, they, that's how they did it. You know, that's how they created this life for themselves. I guess I'll just keep going. And so when I left and when I dropped out, my parents first and foremost were like, man, we got to get our kid healthy and happy again. Cause he's bad. You know, he's depressed. And, um, and then, so it was like, I'm going to take some time off. It wasn't like I'm quitting, but took some time off. And, and my mom was super supportive of me just getting healthy. And she's like, we'll figure out the rest later. And then I think, you know, after a few months, my dad is like, okay, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And he just wanted to see me in like 
engaged in something because I, I think they were both very confident. Like, hey, if he finds something that he's really into, he's going to make it work. You know, there was no question. Like, I, no question in their mind. I had plenty of questions. I'm like, how the hell am I going to make this work as a, you know, as something else? So I was so driven to just over deliver on everything I did as a fitness coach. I worked at Pete's Coffee, that Pete's Coffee you talked about in Mill Valley. I worked there for three years just so I could coach CrossFit and get into this whole fitness world um, and make a little money on the side and just not be at home where I would, where I was going to be feeling judged by somebody, you know, looking at me like, what are you doing with your life? I lived at my, with my parents for three or four years after I dropped out of medical school. And um, it was just, I was just so committed to like, I'm going to be the best coach at this gym. Uh, everybody that, cause I, and once I felt like I was making a difference in people's health and fitness and their lives, it was like, you could not tell me that this wasn't going to work. I was like, this is so going to work. Cause I went to medical school and you guys all loved me and you thought I was going to be the greatest doctor of all time. And you were like, so supportive. I'm not talking about my parents. I'm talking about everybody. Marcus, you're going to be great. Look at you in medical school. And I wasn't helping a single person. I was, it was, I was feeling like I was hurting people by being there. Now I found something I was like, I can, I'm making a difference in people's lives. People are telling me they're getting out of pain. People are telling me that they're losing weight. People are telling me that they're happier. People are just stoked to be around me and take my classes. Like, yep, I don't care what this is going to work. I figure we'll figure it out. And. And that was just so charging and so energizing to me. Once I caught onto that, the next three or four years was just like, that was what I poured my life into. And, and remember, this is like CrossFit as a sport just had sort of happened on the side, right? That's why I did team competition for a couple of years. Cause I was, I was a hundred percent a coach. And then I just did the team thing with my friends and by the third year of making it to the games and doing well as a team, I was like, Oh, I should probably do this thing more seriously. You know, this is fun and I'm good at it. And I, maybe I could be, maybe I could be one of those, you know, individual guys out there who are really good because they're really good. What's, what's depression look like? What, when, when you're 20 years old and you're in school, what's depression look like? How, how do you know you're depressed? Mm. I, um, just wake up every day with the joy kind of gone just it was most of my days were filled with worry and anxiety um not really looking forward to anything just feeling like i have to get through each day and it's hard to get through each day um you know my depression i think was brought on a lot by a uh, an anxious mind and a worry mind around, you know, my, the performance that I was putting out in the world. So specifically as a student, I just put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to do really, really well with grades. And once I had set a very high bar in college, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't accept the, anything less. And so everything in my life became about how do I study more to get the best grades and, you know, not leave anything to question. And, um, 
that just became very worrisome and, and, and anxiety provoking. And, um, yeah. And, and then not feeling like I was surrounded by people who just really like understood me. So it kind of just became isolated. I was very isolated in medical school. Um, my final year of college, I also experienced a lot of this too. And, uh, because I was at Berkeley, I was so close to home. I just came home every week, every weekend. I'd have classes for three or four days and then I'd be home for three or four days. Like, I just want to be around my parents. I don't, I don't feel like I'm, I'm supported by people out there, you know? So that was, that was a, it was a, it was a three to four year stretch, you know, on and off of kind of going in and out of that. And when I, when I got away from medical school and I, I got connected to the CrossFit community, truly like that just was gone. You know, I mean, I've, I've dealt with some anxiety since then, especially since becoming a parent and a business owner and, you know, having some real, real life stresses. But, um, you know, I, I said goodbye to that phase of, of deep, dark depression where I was so disconnected to purpose when I got aligned with the health and fitness community and, and CrossFit. If you ever want to um, visit that again, that's what you describe what it's like when, uh, the first week you, you quit coffee. So if you ever, if you ever want to, uh, I literally, the, the first week I, I, I quit coffee. I was like, okay, why am I waking up now? Because I used to wake up and be so excited to see my coffee machine. And for the first week I was like, okay, what, what, what am I, what's the plan here? But this is what I feel like when I have to like wake up and do fasting blood work and I don't, I can't have coffee or eat until like, you know, whatever time I'm like, the hell's the point of getting up? Yeah. Why get up? The, uh, the pressure that you talk about though, uh, you know, that you, either you put on yourself or that you sometimes, you know, put on students or just people in professional world externally. That's a really, that's a really serious thing. And, and it's, I think it's a bit unfair, you know, for, for people to sometimes have to live up to that. I kind of stumbled into, I think a similar situation in college um, uh, where I had just gone through two years and I happened to have straight A's in every class. And so then I was like, oh my God, I have straight A's in every class. And I wasn't even thinking about it. But the next year I felt like, well, I better get A's all again this year. You know, like mm-hmm. it'd be pretty pathetic to go backwards from this. And the way that I, <laughs> I, uh, I got sick that year in school and I had one teacher, we had four grades for the class. It was a midterm, a final, a, a, a paper. And our participation grade. And I got sick to like the point where I couldn't go to school for a month. And I got an A on the midterm and an A on the final. And I turned in my paper like three months before the end of the semester and got an A on that. Did that since I was homesick and I had nothing else to do. I figured, oh, I'll give them one less thing to grade at the end of the year. And I get my final grade and I had a B in the class. He gave me a zero for participation because I missed an entire month of classes. Oh. And I thought this was the most unfair thing in my life, of course. You know, a 21-year-old kid, I'm like out to prove the world wrong. I submitted all these medical documents and everything. And ultimately the school was like, it's a teacher's class. It's his call. He'd give you whatever grade he wants. But it ended up being one of the most freeing things for me because for the next year and a half, then I was going to classes, which, and I was taking classes like you that I was interested in. And I wanted to ask questions and I wanted to challenge the teachers. But before I was starting to focus so much on the grades that I stopped losing sight of actually challenging my mind and asking those questions. After getting a B, the 4.0 was no longer a stress for me, and I got several more Bs just because I, I like challenged the the teachers, and and I and I grew through that, and I hope they did too. Hmm. 
Yeah, I wish. I, I don't know if I ever got an A in college. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had had a lesson like that at some point. I uh, I got straight A's in high school, and then I got straight A's in college, and I didn't really give myself an opportunity. You know, I didn't. I didn't give myself any leeway, any any in any direction. And of course, like the the science and math classes, I don't want to say they came easy, but they were they were not as challenging, you know, for me, I, if I put the time in, it was, it was like the basic literature requirement to graduate from Berkeley. Like you had to take like the one class, like it was the hardest class I took. I took an American studies class in my first semester there on the recommendation of like my, you know, academic advisor. Cause it was supposed to be easy. It was like the hardest class I took, you know, in all four years. And I just, was struck. I was like, how am I going to get this A? <laughs> it was brutal. Uh, Marcus, how did you meet your wife? She, uh, my wife, Megan is, um, a doctor of, uh, psychi- uh, psychology. And, uh, I was coaching CrossFit and I was just, uh, you know, new clients coming in. We're getting, um, three, three kind of, we'll call, we call them protocol sessions or, you know, more like intro sessions. And I remember the owner of the gym said, and Marcus, you're going to be working with this, uh, this woman named Dr. Caden who's coming in. I was like, okay. You know, um, I was, I felt pretty confident in my, you know, ability to teach, you know, and get people ready for group CrossFit class. But I was, I was a, this dropout of medical school. And I'm like, Oh shit, here comes this doctor. Fuck. Okay. I gotta like, I gotta have my shit. To, you know, I gotta get my, my a game, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I got a doctor who's going to come in and is going to like, think they know something about health and fitness. And I got to like show them my stuff. So I like was all prepped. I didn't know what kind of doctor this person was, but of course I just assumed like, you know, they're, they're medical, phys- you know, medical doctor. Anyway, she walked in and, you know, cute girl. I was, excited to like coach her and she was super enthusiastic and um she just lots of smiles and we just chatted and i think i just was like i just over delivered like i was not like i'm like she's cute but i'm like i gotta teach her so good i'm gonna be the best coach she's ever seen she's gonna think that you know whatever i I felt like i had to prove something and um yeah so we uh we just had these three sessions and then she went off and um, started taking group classes and she didn't come to my classes. She was going to somebody else's cause like we had the gym I was working for had a couple locations. And so I, it just didn't work out that we were like coaching and taking the same time. Um, and then like six months later, she happened to start coming to one of my classes or, or I got assigned to the class that she was coaching and we just became friends. You know, she was in a relationship um, at the time. And so, um, she was dating women at the time. So I was like, you know, I, I really was like, oh, this is just a cool person that I have no pressure. Like there's no interest. She's not, she couldn't be interested in me. So we just developed like a pretty, you know, I, f- I felt like an honest relationship, friendship. She admired me as a coach and she was a cool, you know, cool girl in class. And, and then about like a year after the whole, after we met, um, I started to like, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think she's, 
I think she might be interested in me. Like there's, I was picking up some signals. Like I was very, very focused as a coach. Like I really wasn't at a place in my life where I was looking for partners and I wasn't really, you know, I didn't have any like radar up for somebody might be, um, you know, flirting with me or something like that. And, but I, I think she was like really laying it on very, very thick to like get through to me. Like, Hey man, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'd like to take this past the friend zone. And so I finally kind of like snapped out. of was like, Oh, I think this is actually happening. She might be interested. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was quite a fun first year of just like getting to know this person as like a, a friend, like just as a friend and like feeling zero pressure as an, as a, as a man to be like, Oh, I have to like show some good stuff around this girl. Cause she's like, you know, she's hot or something like that. Like I didn't never thought about it once until it was so like in my face, like, dude, wake up. She is totally into you. Like you guys, you need to like go on a date with her or something like that. Did someone tell you, or you actually caught it? I think somebody had to like, I, I caught a, just enough where I like had to run it by my like coworker. I was like, Tony, what is going on here? Like, is this girl Megan into me? Like, I thought she was dating so and so. Like, I'm like, this is so weird. She's like, I think it's, you know, <laughs> she's like playing kind of behind the scenes, like <laughs> chatting with her. <laughs> like, yeah, I think you, I think you need to go on a date with her. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So, so she went the right direction. You, you, <laughs> she she was dating girls and then came to you. You don't want her to come to you and then start dating girls. So it's kind of good. You got her when she got that, like she, you know, she found what she wanted. I, I it's, think it's she the found, right, it's I, the right order. That's right. I mean, well, and you know, I think there's, <laughs> you could see it that way. I think it's, uh, I think there's, I've seen, I've seen it go both ways. It's always the right order. When, when you find the, when you find love, <laughs> that's the right order. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, so, so the 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 part that interests me about that is I like to think of myself as a relationship expert. I like to just think of myself as an expert on everything. And then all of a sudden, I look at the fact that you're um, married to a real relationship expert, not one like me, a pretending one. And I that immediately, like when I look at her Instagram account, I have to look away. I get scared. I get scared for you. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, can you imagine being in a relationship with a relationship expert? It's like, um, what, what is that? What is that like? I mean, is, is it like sometimes you're like, yo, everything's fine here. Stop, stop looking at our relationship like, like it's a, um, like, like through a microscope or like, or like we're part mm -hmm. of the test tube. Like, you know, this one you have to set free from your diagnostic tools. I mean, what, what is that like? I mean, I truly, I truly felt a little bit of like, oh God, how does he do that? Yeah. Like almost like I'm you know, scared to meet her, you know? She, um, I never feel like I'm, we're, we're under some microscope, but what is, um, what's she never pulls out the DSM like, manual and is like, okay, Marcus, I found all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been in, like we've been in, in couples therapy since 2014 since we were just really starting to get going in our relationship and we were, we were in a great place. We didn't have kids when I mean, we were like, not in a problem space. We were just like, that's what she believed was a valuable thing for us to pr pursue. And I was, I had been in plenty of therapy in my life. I was like, okay, I'm open to it. So what it really has done is, um, over the years is that, um, 
you know, when you, when people talk about like, Hey, relationships require work. Like you need to put work into a relationship, um, for it to be healthy. All right. Well, I, you look at, uh, I happen to use health and fitness as like this analogy. It's like some, a lot of people will say, Hey, you need to like, you need to move your body and eat right. Okay. Well, does that mean like go for a walk and, you know, have a salad once a week? Or does that mean like, you know, do CrossFit 10, you know, 10, 10 sessions a week and eat a perfect paleo diet. Like these are just, they're, you're both putting in work on your body and your health and your wellness. It's just different levels and different extremes or different, like amount of focus on it. And I'm not going to argue that like, Hey, going for walks and eating a salad a week is bad. That's good. It's better than nothing. And, you know, working on your relationship, you know, like having, one honest conversation a month like well that's better than zero and then i see like how our, how we have approached working on our relationship and because her commitment to and her and like i prioritize health and fitness of the physical body and i've done that my whole life to such a high level well she has prioritized relationship as the the, the center of all like life's purpose. And so that was not something that I grew up with. And that was my highest value and highest priority when I was before meeting her and, and maybe even to this day, but I'm a partner to somebody who believes in that both professionally, personally, philosophically, it's just inside of her. And you can see it, how she approaches everything. It's like, I'm talking to you. I'm going to slow down this relationship and the moment, like these moments that I have with you is all that matters right now because everything else is just secondary. And so that is how I have basically been like learning to be in relationship for a number of years. And because it wasn't my highest value coming into the relationship, it's been at times challenging. It's like, whoa, like we're really focused on this. Like we're putting a lot of time and energy into this thing. And I would imagine it's like, you know, somebody who comes into a relationship who's not that into, like if I started dating somebody that wasn't into like health and fitness, they'd be like, dude, like we're like talking about movement and like eating well and food <laughs> a lot. Like, why are we doing this? Like they're going to see some value from it. And I'm sure they're going to be like, this is great. And then at some point they're going to be like, can we just shut the fuck up about exercise? Like we don't need to talk about it right now, you know? And that can be me sometimes. I'm like, Whoa, like this is great. We're, our relationship is strong. We're learning a lot of things. We have our challenges. I'm glad we're doing this. And then sometimes I'm like, can we just not talk about it? Like, can we not like, can we just not work on it for a week? Like, I just want to veg out and look at, you know, Netflix. Like, can we just not talk? You know? So um, it's, it's by and large, a huge plus, like, and it's more than just in our relationship. It's like, man, I have connected with somebody who has taught me the value of putting relationship first. Like I, I bring that to other parts of my life now, not just her. For sure. Yep. I bring that to my kids. Like I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Cause I'm like, if I hadn't met her, and we didn't have this relationship. I don't know that I would ever have found the value in that. And, um, man, for somebody who didn't have that as, as a number one or even a number two growing up, it's, it's pretty special. So yeah, I'm, I'm super lucky. I don't feel like we're, you know, at times I'm like, 
let's take it easy. But <laughs> for the most part, I'm like, man, I lucked out for sure. As you, as you were saying that, I was I was remembering her, her being at regionals and being super, you know, there for you. Every time yeah. I saw you there or at the games or wherever, she was there um, supporting you. And it's kind of interesting because she her your she was your support team, and now you're her support team. But also, it's like, yeah, you're kind of the ultimate project for her, right? Because she has her own relationship, but then she's also helping people with other relationships. So probably in the same way that you held yourself to a certain standard, she wants to make sure she practices what you pre- what she preaches, right? And now you've signed oh, yeah. up to go along for the ride, which is and and you're you're absolutely right. That what you were saying was what I was thinking the whole time. No matter how much work you put in, it's really not your relationship with her is just 1% of the benefit you're getting. The other 99% is all the people you deal with all over the world. Yeah. But man, there, there is nothing. I mean, so you kind of have two sports that are kind of the two hardest sports in the world. You're working on yourself. You're working, both your sports involve working on yourself. Yeah. 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 Your I whole, mean, your whole, and, and, and that's, that's right. To say, okay. I, I'm not going to work on myself for a week. You know what? I, I, I'm going to put some peanut, yeah, no, I'm going to put and, extra peanut butter on this celery. And you know what? Yeah. I'm going to look at Playboy magazine. You know, like, yeah. Oh, I've had the, I've, yeah. And I've, and I think that's been a growth for me in the last year is like, I, of course, I mean, going back to like the school thing, like wanting to get good grades and wanting to like do the best and be the best and have the best, like, uh, resume and so to speak you know in in my own personal life and just as i am as a person like i want to i want to do the right thing like oh do the therapy like do the work on yourself like okay that's what people want that's what people around me value like i'm going to do that because i want to show up for them and um it's it's led to me doing a lot of work and at times just doing the work because other people want it from me and I've had to learn in this last year, like, okay, it's all right to just not want to do it for a week, you know, or it's okay to just be like, Hey, don't ask me about the thing. Let's not, please don't talk to me about how that conversation I just had with Noah went. Cause I just don't want to talk about being a parent for a minute. I want to just, I don't want to be, I'm not perfect. And I just want to take a break off it, you know? So, um, it, it has been interesting to come into some of that awareness this year. It's like, yeah, I've been working on myself in so many ways. And, you know, sometimes I just want to take a break. <laughs> I just, I'm not going to work on myself this week. Okay. Right. When you said that a baby cried in the background, I felt like you have a sound, I felt like you have a sound effect button. You're like, I'll one up these guys and you hit a button and we heard a baby cry. Go ahead. There's, Brian. A, bre- there's a breakfast happening. Mark yeah. Yourself. Same here. I same here. I got a breakfast right here next to me too. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm single. I rely on myself for every meal. This is a, a unique position to be in, I, but it's a good position to be. Um, oh, we're 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 reliant on ourselves for meals. It's not us who's getting fed <laughs> breakfast, Brian. Don't get that twisted. <laughs> I know you'll go in there and get the scraps off of Avi's plate. I will. I will. I sure will eat the scraps. Actually, he probably doesn't leave any scraps. He eats everything, doesn't he? Um, Marcus, <clears throat> were you going to? Were you were you going to? Go ahead. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, I'm pretty curious about your the development of your business and specifically with the way that um that like 
similar businesses have started to adopt certain principles in the last couple of years that I think you've been doing for nearly twice as long. But, um, and specifically, I mean, with the media stuff, I feel like you somehow figured out like five years ago that having really high quality media production and putting out this stuff consistently over time was important. And I think a lot of other people in the space have started doing that now I could be totally mis mistaken there, but I mean, if you go to your website or if you watch your Instagram going back for several years, it's very consistent. It's very appealing in a lot of different ways. And I was curious how you, you know, if you found a media team to work with, if that idea was like just inside of you, that this is going to be an important thing for me. And if you wanted to maybe share where that, some of that inspiration came from. Marcus, hold on one second before you answer that, because that's a great question. I just want to say one thing. Marcus has 755,000 followers on Instagram. He did not get these in the traditional way that a lot of CrossFit athletes got. I don't think that, I think as a CrossFit athlete, he, he may be crested to 100,000, maybe at the highest. I want to say in 2019, he had 150,000 followers. And um, so this is, people are coming to him from way, uh, what I would say probably is outside the community. He is a genuine um, health and fitness and nutrition hub. It's not, there is no, I, I, I honestly would, from going through the whole thing, I would say there's no, it's for literally everyone. And he's, um, he's pulled these people together because of what you can already hear from the first hour of this podcast. He's very authentic. He's extremely passionate and he's leaving no st stone unturned. And I, I it's interesting because he doesn't, the marketing is so, it's, it's almost hard to figure out how he's making a living. I mean, he had, he's, I don't know if he coined the term functional bodybuilding. He has something called revival strength, but you'd go there and he's not shoving stuff down your throat. It's not like buy, buy, buy. There's none of that. I don't see any really of the supplement stuff, but, um, he's giving away tons of free content showing, um, beautifully shot yet very simple, um, movements and, and there it's a constant drumbeat. So maybe, um, before you answer his question, tell us a little bit. Um, Marcus, about what, what's going on, what you're doing there, like what's your sure. business, what's your, what, what are you sharing with the world, and then, and then, and then, I'm very curious about Brian's question also, because yeah, I'd love to unpack it all. Um, yeah, so I, I, the history was that I owned a CrossFit gym for a number of years, and then in 2016, right around regionals when we had our, um, you know, that behind the scenes uh, film that you made was. Uh, featured me quite a bit. Um, I sold my gym like about a month before that. And it was a little bit of a bittersweet ending. I just had, I part, parted ways with business partners that I no longer shared the vision of the future with. Um, it was at that time that I dedicated my, the rest of that year to getting, you know, really fit and doing as well as I could in the CrossFit games. Um, and then the following year I started my own business, which was, called revival strength or is called revival strength. And it's a coaching business, fitness coaching business that had multiple arms to it. It had online personal coaching. And then it ultimately, we opened up a small training facility in San Rafael for local clients. So it was not a CrossFit facility, um, but we did a lot of the same stuff and we were just offering it in a one-to-one -one personal coaching format. So that was when Revival Strength got started. And it was also simultaneously when 
I left the sport and I started training, um, you know, a little bit differently. My, what I was showcasing on social media for my own personal training, uh, what I was doing to keep fit was, it was like this, I was still doing CrossFit movements and CrossFit sport type things, but I was also trying to heal my body after seven years of competing. So I was a little, I was quite injured. Um, and just now had a baby and had different life demands. So I was bringing together some other training disciplines to create what felt like a bit more of a sustainable, balanced approach for fitness, not the competitive grind I was in. And that incorporated some bodybuilding principles and those Instagram posts in late 2016, early 2017, um, got a tremendous amount of engagement more so than what I was getting from posting, you know, snatch muscle up handstand walk videos. People were very interested in, Hey, Marcus, what is this thing you're doing? Hey, what, what, how do I do this training? What's this training? And I was just in an exploratory phase. And I, one day just, I didn't coin the term cause somebody had used it in the past, but I, I, I did a training session where I had done some, some CrossFit. I'd also done quite a bit of bodybuilding in the same workout. And I was like, Oh, this feels like I got a good pump and I did some CrossFit. I'm going to call it, this felt, this feels like functional bodybuilding. And I just posted that very, you know, with a hashtag functional bodybuilding and it just caught on. People were like, Whoa, that's super cool. Like, how do I do functional bodybuilding? And I was like, well, you could, you know, try some of these things and hire me as your coach or hire one of my coaches as your coach. I had one coach working for me. Um, <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and they were like, well, I, I can't afford to get your coaching, but I want to still do your program. How do I do your program? And so this started, wait, the wait, wait, what a great line. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine going into whole foods and saying that I really need those avocados, but I can't afford them. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it. <laughs> I really want that, that ribeye, but, um, yeah, I can't afford that. So right. can I have your, you know, flat meat? Um, that's basically what I was getting. So that, that started, you know, long story short, I developed an online training program to showcase some of these training principles. And I put it out as a 12 week kind of experiment. Like here, here you go, everybody, you can purchase a 12 week program from me. I called it awakened training series. And that was the first functional bodybuilding program I put out. And uh, that was in 2017, um, April of 2017. Just as a note, my, my, uh, bought it. my employer at the time bought it when it came out. And he and he saw it oh, through, yeah. I think, the at least the first four iterations that you put out. Yeah. Yeah. So we did four iterations. Yeah. So that was April 2017. And, uh, and, and that just like pretty quickly within three to six months, I was like, well, this is another like business opportunity and a way to reach people that, you know, aren't going to hire me for personal coaching. I mean, it was like, you know, do I want to pay $300 plus a month or do I want to buy this thing for, you know, a fraction of the cost and just try and figure it out on my own. Right. And, um, so fast forward to today, you know, we're, we're still that, you know, we're still revival strength. We still do personal coaching but we're also functional bodybuilding as a, as a brand who, and we're selling functional bodybuilding online training programs. 
So you can, you know, you could become part of our functional bodybuilding online community. We have a training, we have a, you know, a, a training program, a subscription program that you can sign up for. And um, I put a lot of energy and in, in heart into that. Now, back to what you're saying, Brian, you know, where did it all start? Well, it really all started in 2011. I hired my first coach to coach me as a CrossFit athlete. OPT was my first coach. So James Fitzgerald mm, became my wow. coach. Yeah. And I, that's some I, good, I, pedi- that's some good OG Mar- Marcus, pedigree. Just a little, the, yeah. the guy who I said was my employer in 2017 who bought your program was also being coached by James Fitzgerald in the around 2010-2011 time period. Oh, right on. Who was that, by the way? His name's uh, Anthony DeSaro or DeSaro from Naples, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I know him. He became a personal client of ours at some point in Revival Strength later on. But um, yeah, James was like a huge inspiration and, and, and kind of mentor figure to me early on. And um, But the way that that is important is that, you know, in 2011, when James was coaching clients, the way that he reviewed our training results was through online blogs. We all had to have our own blog and we had to post our training results to a blog so that he was could the just big dogs blog. Uh, he had a big dogs. Blo- he had a blog where he g- gave out tr- free training content, but no, this was marcusphilly.org or marcusphilly.com. That was Marcus's training journey. And it was oh, wow. every single day from 2011 to 2013 that I trained. I posted my workout, what my results were and videos that went with it so that James or whoever wanted to coach me could go and click there and say, Oh, this is what he's doing. This was before companies like true coach existed. And we had platforms to deliver, you know, results to our coaches on the web. I had to do all this work. So I was a content creator and, you know, before social media like was really big. I was just putting it on there and eventually I started linking it to my Facebook, but that was way after the fact I was doing it because I needed my coach to see it. And then the small community of people that were, you know, big dogs or other OPT athletes at the time all had my website and they could go look at what I was doing. Well, that actually turned into a couple business, like a couple clients. People saw that and they emailed me. I put a little link to my, my email. I got a couple clients out of that. And to me, it was like this act of showing my my process. How do I become, how am I getting to where I'm at? James called it, uh, take off the kimono, be vulnerable, be naked, just show it to the world, right? So that when you show up on competition day, there's nothing to hide. It's like everyone knows what you did. Hey, this is the guy. And that was extremely freeing to me. It was like, if I'm just totally authentic and vulnerable and I put it all out there and I show everything, the fails, the wins, the PRs, the shitty days, then I'm, I'm living this and I'm learning and I'm going to grow. And so I did that for years. And then Instagram came around and I was like, well, hell, this is a heck of a lot easier than posting this blog. This blog takes work. Like I'm, I was writing and if people want to, if they can find it on the internet, there's some deep stuff in there. I, it was like a it was like a diary that I wrote, and I wrote like ch- pa- paragraphs every day about what was going on internally to go from being a a good team athlete to cracking into the individual competition scene of the CrossFit Games. It was it was powerful. 
And so when I started showing that on Instagram and that became the driving force was like, I'm always going to be the person who's going to show it all. I'm just going to give a lot as much as I can. And if I do that, I know it's going to come back in the way of business opportunities, in the way of uh, clients and customers. Um, and so that was a foundation for me forever. And then in 2016, 2017, I met a very important person who is now my business partner. She uh, came to me and we had a similar view of what it meant to grow an audience. And that was providing really high, high quality content for free. Um, and she helped me to start an email list when she was like, you need an email list. And I didn't realize it was an important thing. And starting in 2017, we started writing weekly editorials and I haven't, you know, missed one since. And that has always been about teaching people, showing them how to do it better for themselves, giving actionable tips every single week. Um, and, and this, this philosophy has just carried us, you know, so far. And I became, it became clear that when it looked good on, on social media, people clicked on it more. And so I was like, well, great, we got to get this information out there. We may as well make it look the best that we possibly can. And so, you know, started exploring, working with people that could take good photographs, who could take good videos and who could make the, 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 the work of creating content on a consistent basis, which, you know, now is anywhere from three to five pieces of content a day, you know, that have sharp images and, you know, good, good video and good quality, good audio. Like it's, you know, it, it meant having more people involved because um, it was a lot to do on my own while also coaching people um, and trying to run a business. So it's just grown organically out of this thing, which was a blog in 20, 2011 into today, which is, you know, a couple of different social media platforms that are putting out stuff and um, an email list and, and now a YouTube channel that puts out a weekly video that's in, you know, long form educational content video. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's something that's grown slowly, but, but surely has been thoughtful at every step of the way. Man, I really, I really appreciate a, that, that, uh, you know, sharing the, that journey because I think people can see the finished product, but they don't know the years of foundation that science goes into it. I mean, I've always been curious of how, like I said, how you arrived at such a professional looking platform kind of early on in the game. So that, I appreciate that, Marcus. Are you and your wife, like, is there a strict schedule every day? Like, do you know, like, like, it's not common that someone on the West Coast will take a seven a.m. podcast. Um, oh yeah, y- yeah. You, you, t- you. I was wondering. It. I was like, man, you get going early, but I guess that's for people in other time zones, huh? Well, also, like, what seven a.m. is the only time shit's quiet around here. I like, agree. Yeah. Like, like, the, there's already noise all around me. I, I usually like I try to keep them up late. Like, I know the podcast is going to happen, so last night I tried to keep them up a little late so they like sleep in a little more. Nah, it didn't work. Yeah. But, um, but how crazy is your day? How crazy is your schedule? Um, it's less crazy now than it was a year ago. <laughs> a year ago at this time, it was, it was full on madness. I mean, 
Um, our kids are fortunately, you know, back in full-time school and daycare. They're two and four years old, so daycare, preschool. But at this time last year, we didn't have that access. So we were doing everything from, you know, ourselves here um, and just taking and trading off. So we sort of developed some of our daily schedule that still, you know, exists today from, from a year ago. So this is like her morning to get them up, get them fed, get them going for their day. And I, I have until, you know, I have all morning to work. So I was up at five this morning. I did my morning routine and then I'm, you know, answering some emails, getting on a podcast, maybe taking a meeting. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it, it's a pretty structured, you know, schedule for our family and it works really well. And, and that's because we're both working full time um, or, you know, we both have our own businesses that we're running and um, we have great support for our kids. Like, like I said, they have, you know, school and daycare and my mom is local. So she takes, you know, she helps out with them, but we're also oh, that's very involved. Nice. Yeah. I that's mean, I, but nice. I'm picking, I'm picking them up from school three days a week at 3 PM and dropping them off a couple of days a week at 9 AM. So, you know, that kind of puts some constraints on, on work time. So I have to just be pretty focused on when I get things done. Do, do your kids have to wear masks at the preschool? Your two-year-old and four-year-old? They don't know. Um, even the preschool, because it's technically, um, licensed as like a daycare center they they get to create sort of their own rules awesome congratulations i have very strong opinions yeah. about two-year-olds and four-year-olds covering their face on every level <laughs> um uh so you already took a, a, pl- a cold plunge this morning i took a sauna and a cold plunge this morning damn you are a pampered man you are a pampered man. Isn't it funny? It's it, the, I'm calling you pampered man, even though cold plunge is just, I don't know yeah. how much that is of, of pampering. Um, the, the, I've watched some of those videos because I, I really, I I would really like to pull the trigger on a, uh, on a sauna. I don't know what I'm waiting for. They're, they're really, um, that, that one you have is amazing. How much is something like that? That, that, that barrel you have. That, yeah. I think, I think you can get it for, you know, it's, it's tricky. Cause I think you can probably get it delivered like twenty twenty two twenty four hundred dollars $2,400. You could probably get the whole thing, but then, then you gotta, then you gotta do the electrical on it, which is pretty, you have to get it hardwired. And, uh, that's, that ran me like a thousand bucks to get a, an electrician to come out and do that. So that was like an, an unknown expense that was going to come from it. Um, it's two twenty. It, it's two twenty, like a yeah. washer and dryer or something. Okay, yeah. so they they run the cable and then and then and then what happens? And then do you build it or does it come like that, like an igloo on its side? You build it, yeah. But it it, it come the two circles, the front and the back, come pre made, and then there's a bunch of slats, and you it shows you how to build it. I, I had a handyman come and build it for me. Who That's did what it I would like, do. Yeah, who did it in like <laughs> he's done a bunch of them and he's did did in like four hours, so it wasn't that much to have him put it together. Um, but yeah, I'm not handy at all. I don't know how to build anything. And, um, so yeah, I don't look like a man and I'm not a man. Marcus Philly, on the (laughs) other hand, is false advertising. He looks like a man, but is not a man. Yeah. I could lift some things for you, but I certainly can't build it. Um, yes, Ivan, you got to get one. It's, it's absolutely been, it's one of those like health and wellness tools that 
if you incorporate it into your life daily, you'll be like, whoa, why, how did I ever live? Like now, I, I do it every single day over for over almost two years I've done it. And we were like, I'm like, I don't, I don't like to go anywhere. I don't like to travel because I, I need, I want to have my sauna. Like we're thinking about doing a little kitchen remodel and we might have to move out for a couple months. I'm like, fuck, how am I, where am I going to put, where am I going to find a place to live for a little while with a sauna? Like that's, it's just so, it's so important to the, to the daily ritual now. So, so it's plugged in, it's electric. And then, um, you you do you turn it on or does is it does it heat up rocks and then you throw water on the rocks like t- tell me a little bit more get, really get the, the the it's you don't need to use water the rocks get super hot since it's a small two seater um and I bought the 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 superpower heater in it you know they give you like you can get like the second tier heater that's more powerful it heats up in probably ten to fifteen minutes so I I literally come I wake up turn the hot water on, go out there, click the thing into turn it to on, come in, brew my coffee, take a few sips, go out there and it's ready to go. And, and so um, you can do dry sauna or wet sauna. You could have steam pouring off of it or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's just dry. I mean, it gets so, uh, humid in there. Um, I mean, you're sweating like crazy without any steam. So I, I don't find it to be necessary, although I do have a little water pail in there that I can drop some water on it every once in a while if I want. Um, and then, yeah, you can do a few things. Like I put a, a rain cover on the top of it, uh, which was important to just keep wet out. But then that also insulates it and traps more heat in, so it makes it hotter. Um, and then, you know, it does jack up your energy usage a bit. But then we got solar panels, so I'm like, I'm just heating myself with the sun, the power of the sun, which we're all feeling good about. And how long do you stay in there? Yeah, I've because people ask me that all the time. It ranges anywhere from like 30 to 50 minutes. Um, wow. You know, I'll go in there and I, if I actually my phone, my phone can overheat if I like hold it up too high, but. I usually answer a lot of um, direct messages in their DMs in there, and I yeah, get a lot yeah, of those. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty effective use of time. I just I connect with a lot of people, and um, yeah, so I I'm in there from thirty to fifty minutes, depending on how many DMs we got. You have two girls. Yeah. Two. Are four. you gonna have any more kids? No, no. I took care of that. Um, I we decided it wasn't wasn't going to be for us. I, 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 I love the idea of maybe having more kids, but, um, it's a, it's a lot in, in Marin to think about having more kids. It's a lot. Um, my wife's 42 now. Uh, so she, you know, we, we, we wanted to have our first before she was 40, which we did. And, um, I don't know. I just think we're, we're happy with where we're at and, um, Yeah. Plenty of, good. plenty of work to, to do right now. Is it stressful having kids in this world? Like, like when you look at the future, are you like, holy shit, there's a lot of chaos going on? Or, um, Man, it, I, I'll be honest. I don't – periodically I'll think about the future for them and the future, what that might look like um, raising them. But I feel like it's just so – there's so much to do today. It's so challenging right. just in, it's just, it's, it's not challenging. It's like, it's just 
we're, we got our hands full just giving them a great life experience right now. And, um, I mean, yeah, things are going to look really different in a few years and 10 years when, you know, we face new, new stages of parenting. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard enough time, like not worrying about <laughs> the future and like what could go wrong. And that it's like, if I add thinking about what's going to look like for them to, it's just, I'm not going to be an effective parent today. And so that's, that's my work is, is how do I make these moments with them right now really special and not get too caught up in work and business and social media and all the other stuff that could be distracting me from just being like, I'm with these kids right now. My wife was just out of town for five days. She went to see her parents for the first time in over a year and which was wonderful for her. And it was wonderful for me. I was like, dude, I am the only, I am the sole responsible person right now for, for almost six days in a row. Like, so you stayed had, with the two, you stayed with your daughters that whole time. Yeah. Yeah. My mom helped out oh, a little that's bit awesome. with pickup, but I was just, it was, you know, five, six nights in a row. It was just me and the kids and, you know, every little peep that's coming from the room, like I'm on red alert. Like this is my, I'm nothing's going to go wrong on my watch. And you know, that <laughs> it was, uh, it was, you know, it was just, it was a good, it was a, it was special for me to feel ownership more so than I normally do when I'm in this, you know, dual parenting role with her. And, um, but yeah, all that's just to say, like, it, it gave me just a more of an appreciation for, um, how, how important it is to, <laughs> to just do good, a good job today with them and, and give them as much of myself as I can and not get too caught up in what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. I try to use the chaos in the world to motivate me to just make them more capable. And I don't really let it stress me out at all either. Um, but it just makes me realize the importance of, like you said, not only being there with them and spending a ton of time with them, but m just making sure that, okay, Hey, this is, the, no one knows what the world is going to look like in 10 years because we're moving so fast. I mean, you know, the, the job, I don't know, 50% of the jobs that are, exist today weren't around when we were kids because the world's mm -hmm. changing so quickly. But yeah, that's, I like that. I re some, some people will ask me sometimes, are you stressed out? And I'm like, no, but even though I immerse myself in sort of the chaos and I like to look at it for some reason, it doesn't stress me out. Well, and, and coming back kind of, uh, to something we talked about earlier about my wife and her, sort of specialty as a professional, I think that is the thing that w that we are working on arming our kids with is like how to have good relationship skills and relational skills with other people and to, you know, learn, learn empathy through the, the, the relationships that we're building with them and them with each other. And, um, that's, you know, like if, the world could change, but like how we relate to one another is, is gonna, there's going to be some common threads in that forever, you know, and being able to look at somebody else and, uh, really truly listen to them and to, and to hear their perspective and to, you know, be compassionate, like, um, see that there's other people around you that matter too, and not just be self-centered. Um, those are, those are things that are, are learned for sure. And I, not that we're the only ones involved in that process. There, there, pe there are people at school who are involved in that, but like we're working on 
trying to cultivate that in a big way for them. So yeah, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your wife will definitely have the, in my opinion, the, the largest impact on that for sure, right? They'll model that yeah. behavior. Right, exactly. Seven, can I make a U-turn here before we uh, probably have to Please. wrap it yeah, up? Please, yeah, 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 yeah. A few years ago, Marcus, I was watching you on Instagram and I, and you posted that you'd like snatched for the first time in six months and you either like PR'd or came really close to a PR or something like this. And it totally revolutionized my concept, not like my concept of training. And then fast forward to this year, prior to about a month ago, I'd only ever done one set of five unbroken ring muscle-ups. I'm not quite of the caliber of muscle-ups as my as Savan is over there. It's a very hard movement for me. And then all of a sudden, I just decided to do this workout that included five sets of five ring muscle-ups. I hadn't actually been up on the high rings in, in at least six months, and I was able to do all five sets unbroken. Wow. And you wow. talked about how you, um, you know, when you stopped doing CrossFit competitively, you started changing the way that you trained a little bit, heal your body with some of the motive and whatever. And I always thought, like, man, if I'm going to get a ring muscle-ups, I need to do negatives all the time. I need to get up on the rings every day. I need to do this, do this, do this. And the way, somehow, the way I became more competent or proficient at doing them was by not doing them, but by doing tons of other stuff. And so, you know, when I looked back, I was like, oh, in that time period, I had done a lot of core work, and I had done a lot of well, upper body bodybuilding, which is, a, you know, upper body pressing has always been a weakness of mine. So I was just curious, you know, you... I'm assuming that you still have some kind of uh, tapped into the competitive scene and know a little bit about what's going on. But from your experience now being outside of it for you know five years or something, not really competing, have you noticed that, um, you know what, even even if I go back, like I can see, see that workout, say, oh, that's kind of a cool workout they did in the Open. Let me do that workout. Even though I don't do workouts like that that often, do you find that you can like excel in some of those? Um. No, I cannot. No, no, <laughs> no, and and I'll tell you, uh, yeah. Um, I because you got very, old, Marcus, or because why, why, why can't you? I reached a or very because high you were level, too good, very okay. very high level of fitness. When the intent in everything I did was to be better and to get stronger and faster and build, you know, there, I brought I brought that intent to every training session back then. Now I don't bring that intent to every training session. I don't have an intent of like, I want to get stronger. I want to get better. I want to, you know, I want to push limits. I go into my training nowadays and I'm just like, I want to feel like I gave effort, but I don't care where it takes me. You know, there's certain things I'm working on building strength wise, but they're not measurable as it would relate to like CrossFit fitness metrics that are important so there are workouts that are still like i would consider like wheelhouse workouts for me but i can't do i would not be able to do any of them to the level that i did four years ago and i get the question often like hey do you think you could get out there and still you know compete and with you know your former competitors and the answer is no i definitely couldn't if i decided today marcus like 2022 games do you want to go out and try and win the masters division if i truly wanted that and that was my intent i think there could be a possibility i'm not saying it would be easy but there's a possibility because i have 
a tremendous training background. I have good, great mechanics relative to the field. I have, I've done it. So I know what it feels like. And I know what goes into it from a work perspective, but all of that means nothing. If you don't want it, if you can't, if you don't wake up each day and you're like, I want to do, I'm doing this thing. I got a purpose. I don't have a purpose behind that stuff. You know, some athletes have a purpose because it pays the bills. Some athletes have a purpose because they just love it and it's who their what their identity is. Some people just, you know, that they're just wired every day because that's still they're they're still on the climb, right? They're still oh, I'm going to get there. I'm what am you know? I don't have any of that driving me. And and I I hung on to the idea of coming back in the sport for a few years after 2016, and it just became super clear to me like I. I lack that why. I lack that purpose to drive me to do what's really uncomfortable. The difference between going out and doing the training sessions I do today and the training sessions it would take or the effort and the intent to go back to competing, it might not look like a lot on paper, but emotionally and mentally and just that extra bit of physical, it's significant. It's super significant. And it's why... I think when people get away from the sport long enough and they let go of that, they're like, oh, wow, life is really good when I'm not having to just bang my head against the competitive, you know, wall every day because it's it's exhausting. It's super exhausting. And that's on every level. So, um no, there's there's nothing I'm I'm as good at as I was back then, except for I'm a much better mountain biker because I took up that sport since I I started or since I stopped competing and uh, yeah I could I could hang on some mountain biking but that's it you know I'm I'm and I'm you know I'm, I'm probably ten I'm ten pounds lighter than I was when I competed I haven't cleaned clean and jerked over three hundred and fifteen pounds or three hundred pounds in a long time I mean I still have decent numbers. If you said, Hey, you, if you don't go out there and snatch 225 today, you know, we're going to chop off your daughter's finger or something. I would do it, but I can't come anywhere <laughs> close to 280 pounds. Like I did it, you know, my best. And, and so it's just a, it's just a different, it's a different life, but I'm, I'm very content with my level of fitness. I'm still inspired to go out there and train. I love, I love training. I love it from the perspective of learning what what about that stuff that people see that's so inspiring from CrossFit? What actually applies to my my client, my everyday the everyday person out there? You know, I'm coaching people that I don't if someone says, Hey, I want to go to the games, Marcus, will you coach me? I'm like, no, I'm not the person. Go check out, you know, big dogs, go check out training think tank, go check out like just go to other people, right? It's like, hey, I don't think CrossFit looks cool, but I've never done it. Like, how should I I'm like, hey, I got some great stuff for you. I got a mix of CrossFit. I got a mix of bodybuilding. I got a mix of just quality movement in mind. I'm going to keep you moving for a long time. I don't care if you win, you know, I want you to win in your life. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean like having the fastest times. It doesn't, it means like doing it every day and just being consistent. That being said, you, uh, you, you're you you nailed it your mechanics are amazing watching you move is amazing and um i just want to be clear what marcus is talking about is is the one percent of one percent of one percent if you want to be 
the healthiest, fittest, best-looking guy in your local Starbucks, Marcus will get you there tenfold still. Like, so, like, for anyone, he's really, Marcus has experienced fitness and pushing his body to levels that most of us can't under, even comprehend. And so he's really, really talking about the tip of the spear there. Don't think that anyone who follows this program um, wouldn't run laps around everyone at the local Walmart a thousand times over. So just wanted to be clear about that. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Um, Marcus, thank you. Thank you for your time. I know you're incredibly busy. Um, you're an incredibly inspirational figure for me because I, 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 I watched you build your, your empire. Um, what a, what a, what a fun thing you're doing. And clearly you can tell from watching your work that simultaneously you're working on yourself to be a better human. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been, um, uh, a pleasure to speak to both of you and, um, thanks for giving me a, a platform to come and talk about some things that, uh, I don't normally get asked about. So I was telling some folks that I was coming on and I was just excited because I know you always, you always ask, um, you always ask the best questions of anybody I've, uh, come across in the media space for, uh, ever since I've known you. So yeah, thank you very much. Any parting words, Brian? No, it was just, it was great to talk to you. I think you're doing great stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll be able to meet down the road sometime. Yeah, that would be great. Nice to meet you, Brian, and thanks for saying that.